Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and welcome to another spare parts episode of Unscrewed, where we bring you a little of this, a little of that, and get you in and out in 15 minutes or less. So it's Valentine's Day. How's everybody holding up? I wish you all, all of the love that you each deserve, which is copious amounts, and in the manner in which you would like to be loved. That's my wish for you. Uh, Valentine's Day may be a super commercial holiday, but that doesn't mean we can't find transformative and wonderful ways to celebrate it, which is what I try to do. On the theme of love, we've got a few tidbits for you today. The first was this lovely email I got from listener Nobilis Reed in response to my comments on the last Spare Parts episode about white privilege and privilege in general and thinking about what to do with it. Uh, He says, I'm a science fiction erotica writer and he was listening to the show and he said, I wrote an essay about some of these thoughts a while back, but your podcast got me thinking even further. In addition to things any good citizen can do to work for human rights, getting involved in local politics, calling Congress creatures daily, etc. I've been thinking about what I can do specifically as a writer of erotic science fiction. And it occurs to me that people who are really active in this space, especially people less privileged than me, need places they can get away from the front lines from time to time to recharge. I think my writing and podcasting can help with that. I can create stories that people can read and listen to with less fear that they're going to come across a racist, sexist, homophobic, or transphobic gotcha that would ruin their escapism. I wanted to let you know that your show got me thinking in that direction. Thank you. Well, thank you, Nobilis. And also, I hope I'm saying your name right. That's wonderful. And I think that teases out a point that I don't know if I even made strongly enough last time, which is we all do as we can, right? So if if your thing is writing erotic science fiction, you can do it in a way that supports justice and resistance. All of us have a thing that we do that we love doing or more than one or that we're good at or we want to get good at. And we can all do this work in different ways. Um, It's like fingerprints, you know, it's going to look different on all of us. The point is to be operating from that justice and resistance minded space. So thanks for writing in. I hope that inspires y'all to think about where you can integrate justice and resistance in unexpected places in your lives. And if you do, you know what to do. Let me know. I'm at Jacqueline F on Twitter. You can email me unscrewed at JacquelineFriedman.com. I would love to hear about it. 
Okay, our next spare part about love today is an excerpt from a show I did before this was unscrewed. The iteration of the show before unscrewed was called The Yes Means Yes Show. And I interviewed the fantastic Jenny Trout, who is a romance slash erotica writer who also wrote this devastating and devastatingly funny series of recaps chapter by chapter of the Fifty Shades books. So if you haven't read those, you definitely should read them. I had Jenny on when the first Fifty Shades movie came out. Obviously, the second Fifty Shades movie hits theaters today, I believe. And I thought it was worth revisiting our conversation specifically because people seem still determined to defend the movie as pro-kink and pro-women's sexuality, which we both kind of agreed it, it isn't in this clip from that show. When the book first came out, you know, Dr. Drew... Uh, not personally. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he, he was on, he was just everywhere talking about how much, how unhealthy the books are and blah, blah, blah. But a lot of his comments were really anti-kink. sort of very anti-kink. And, uh, so people, I think readers started to think, okay, if someone says this is an abusive relationship, they're talking about the fact that he hits her in bed. But I don't get the fact, I mean, the book is anti-kink. The book is super anti-kink. The book basically suggests that Christian is kinky because he was abused as a kid and that as he heals emotionally that he will need the kink less exactly that she's going to cure him out of uh wanting to be you know this well and and also the book also suggests that he was groomed into right uh, right 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 yeah he was uh he he was sexually abused and physically abused as a child. I mean, they never come out and say that he was sexually abused, but they heavily imply it, um, that he was sexually abused as a child. And then as he got older, he acted out a lot of rage and things like that. And then his mom's friend, this older woman, I guess, through a series of, you know, statutory rapes, uh, grooms him to become a sadist so that he can work out all of this, like, sort of, like, psychosexual issues about his mother onto these, you know, naive young women. And, um, yeah, so it's, I mean, and, and it's basically like saying like you get injured into BDSM and you get loved out of it. Right. It's also like incredibly slut me, which was actually one of the most shocking parts for me. Cause of course it's a book that women are claiming is like sexually empowering, but it like, never stop slut shaming anyone who's not our heroine like never like never misses an opportunity to not call anyone who's not our heroine a nasty slut right like she's um well not not quite as bad as the book i'm reading right now where the heroine actually referred to somebody as like a cum burping gutter slut or something i was oh like God. whoa it was like a new adult book i was just like what did i just read ah. but- I think I think more than sort of slut shaming the other women, there is slut shaming other women in um, Fifty Shades of Grey, but more it's like just shaming anybody who isn't Anna for being attractive or being. It's like there's a very strong sense of competition against other women uh, in in the book. So it's not even slut shaming in general. I mean, like she's jealous of waitresses and a lot of the times it's not even a, a comment on their sexuality. It's like you know, her, her hair was obviously dyed. Oh, right. She's blonde. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and they're all blonde. They're all these evil blondes. I'm like, what happened, EL? Who hurt you that was blonde? That made you like, did you have a mean teacher? Was your, you know, was your best friend awful to you and she was blonde? I don't know. Like, what is the problem here? So there you have it. 
If you want to hear more of that conversation, I'm going to link to the show, which was called Fifty Shades of Over It, which you can hear the whole long form interview with Jenny. I will warn you that that previous iteration of my podcast was not edited. So it is a long and kind of woolly and wandering conversation. But if you're into Jenny and you want to think about Fifty Shades and romance and erotica and women's sexuality, it's a great listen. Um, And I'll link to it in the show notes so you don't have to go digging through all of my back archives to find it. So that'll be at JacquelineFreeman.com slash unscrewed. We have one more tidbit about love for you, and it is an excerpt from my interview from last week with Carrie Jenkins, the love philosopher, where we got a little meta. I asked her about the gender implications of her as a woman being a philosopher specifically of love, which tends to be kind of a lady topic or gets coded as a lady topic. And she had super interesting things to say. I'll tell you a bit more about my history as well as a philosopher. So I started out as a philosopher of mathematics, Mm. um, which is something that I still love. Um, You know, I still work on that stuff too. And my first book was about philosophy of arithmetic. Most of the conferences I would go to, I'd be quite often the only woman in the room explaining something about the philosophy of arithmetic to a big sea of of men, usually a big sea of, of white men. There was some sort of just resistance to the idea of me as a philosopher of mathematics. I didn't look right. I didn't look like a Mm -hmm. philosopher of mathematics. I'm already like struggling against the fact that I don't look like a philosopher because I don't look like Socrates or whatever, you know. But mathematics then on top of that just compounds that effect. And it's been really interesting that since I've been working on love, I don't feel that at all. Mm. Suddenly um, people think I look right to work on this topic. So that's been interesting. And in some ways, you know, that that can work in my favor um, because maybe people are a little more willing to listen to what I have to say on this topic before I've even opened my mouth. And, you know, since I do want to be heard, that's that can be useful to me, although it's it's sad that that, that sort of disparity would exist. But then the other thing is what's interesting about the, the philosophy of love is if you go read the history of that philosophical literature, what you're going to find is Nietzsche and uh, Schopenhauer and Plato and a big long list of names of very famous dead white men. In some weird way, even love, even such a subject as love in philosophy has become something that's viewed as being done about women rather than by Mm. them. Um, And so in that way, I am still kind of entering a field in a way that can be perceived as somewhat challenging. And the challenge is going to be to be able to be perceived as someone who has a voice um, that could be construed as pushing back against the Schopenhauers and the Nietzsches of the world, who, by the way, are both super misogynist, especially when it comes to talking about love. Nietzsche, uh, he says, um, what woman understands by love is clear enough, complete surrender, not merely devotion of soul and body, without any motivation, without any reservation. Her love is precisely a faith. Woman has no other and, and then he says, um, a woman wants to be taken and accepted as a possession. Oh my God. Um, and then he makes this, an- I know, <laughs> he makes this analogy between perfect women in love and um, slaves. That's what he thinks. Wow. It's, it's not subtle. Sometimes he gets people trying to apologize for him and say that he's not really as much of a misogynist as he sounds. But I don't know how you can read that any other way. So then uh, Schopenhauer says, my favorites from him, by nature, uh, man is inclined to inconstancy in love. 
woman to constancy. Um, yeah, yeah. For nature moves her instinctively and without reflection to retain the nourisher and protector of the future offspring. So then conveniently, of course, that means uh, faithfulness in marriage is with the man artificial and with the woman it is natural. And thus adultery on the part of the woman is much less pardonable. I wish he was still alive so I could punch him in the face. It's just amazing that this is stuff, like, people think of these guys as, like, A-list geniuses. But he's not really very intellectually rigorous, is it? No, it's bullshit. And it's like, <laughs> you know, because you stick the na- label Schopenhauer on it, we're somehow supposed to take that seriously? But you do, what you don't see very much of in these sort of summaries of what the philosophy of love has been like is people like Simone de Beauvoir, who totally should be there because she's an amazing philosopher and an amazing philosopher of love. And she was writing really interesting stuff about the social construction of gender, but she brings in romantic relationships into her discussion. And I'm drawing a lot on her work in my work. Um, so partly it's, it's not just about kind of entering the field and being there and being a woman who is talking, not just being talked about, but I'm also trying to flag where women's voices on this subject in the past um, haven't been included in the conversation and need to be front and center into the conversation, not as an optional extra when you go to do your feminist philosophy course. That, again, was Carrie Jenkins. Her new book is What Love Is and What It Could Be. And if you want to hear the full interview with her and you haven't yet, just go listen to last week's episode, which was called A Little Ineffable. She's super smart and fun, as you can tell. That's about all we have time for this week. Thanks for tuning in. By the way, I did get a bunch of y'all's advice questions. Please keep them coming. I'm going to start, as I interview people, having them also answer advice questions for you. So you should expect advice questions and answers starting in the next Bear Parts episode. And if you have a sex or sexuality advice question you want to send on, send it to me. At Jacqueline F on Twitter, you can use the unscrewed hashtag, unscrewed at JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Want to hear from you. Want to help you out. If you're not subscribed, now is a great time to do it. We're on all the places you might expect to find podcasts, iTunes, Acast, Stitcher. If we're not in a place where you like to get your podcasts, just let me know and I will get us there. While you're in iTunes, you know what I'm going to say. Give us a little review. Give us five stars. It makes me super happy. That's how you can show love to me and to this show. And, you know, if you're if you've already done that or if you're not going to do that for whatever obstinate reasons, you know, everybody's got their reasons. The other way that you can help people find the show is just tell them about it. You know, tell other folks that you love the show or you love this particular episode or what have you and help other folks discover the conversation. This show is produced and edited by yours truly, Jacqueline Friedman. Our in and out music is by The Pink Tiles and our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and was designed in collaboration with The Establishment, who also designed the sound cues. Until next week, I am wishing you all safe and happy sex lives. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 